Hello everyone, this is Space Cafe Podcast and I am Marcus. I know, I know, I, I shouldn't be here today and episode 45 is not due yet, but you know, we decided to surprise you with a little treat. Of course, we're talking about James Webb. What else? The Optimus Prime amongst the most powerful telescopes ever conceived by human ingenuity. It took 30 years and arguably more than 10,000 engineers and scientists to build this machine that is destined to probe the universe for secrets. Even the venerable Goliath among the telescopes, Hubble, wasn't able to make scene. So while you were deservedly feasting over Christmas Day's favorite dish, someone, somewhere, initiated the unstoppable launch sequence for one of the most powerful rockets to date. And while the clock was counting back, we took every effort to call no other than ESA's project manager for the James Webb mission, Peter Rummler, in the mission control room in Kourou, French Guiana. And lo and behold, he did pick up. 40 minutes prior to liftoff, during emotional wreckage time, he exited the building to have a little chat with us. Okay, can you go, can you go on right there? Yeah, I'm just in the control room at the launch base in French Guiana. I'm sitting next to the NASA people who are controlling their link to the spacecraft. What's the emotional state of people? Do people talk to one another or are they like biting their fingernails? Yeah, fingernails will be the last seven minutes. What is your personal emotional state scaling up from one to ten? Oh, we are getting more and more excited, crossing our fingers, knocking on wood. So I would think uh, it's still an eight, but it's going to go up to ten. Any strange rituals that that you have, that you guys have, that your colleagues have? Special thing we have here today, it's called the ESA children mascot, the Paxi, which is just sitting in front of us, which we have here uh, to help us. And this is to basically uh, give things to the kids. And I have for my family also, my nieces and the children, uh, they're very excited. So what, what's your personal feeling today? Is it a good day? We cross our fingers. I hope so. We really hope so. After so, so many years. Uh, yes. And you know, rockets are, are rockets. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they, are, they are not foolproof. Huh? They are not cars. Huh? Rockets are a small production and not a huge mass production. So, yes, there's always a little bit of risk. Huh? I mean, we believe we have done so much good work that it's going to work. We have uh, worked at it uh, many, many, many years. So we are all quite confident it's going to work, but risk is always there. After this, Peter went back to his desk and 30 minutes later, the computers took over and heaved the behemoth of a telescope upward. And we have engine start. And liftoff. Decollage, liftoff from a tropical rainforest to the edge of time itself. James Webb begins a voyage back to the birth of the universe. Here are some nerdy numbers for you out there, and I know you want them. The cryogenic core stage built by Ariane Group in France is 5.4 meters in diameter and 30.5 meters long, and unfueled weighs more than 14 tons. At liftoff, 
its Vulcan 2 engine burns 175 tons of liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen propellants to provide 140 tons of thrust. On a personal note, I never witnessed a rocket launch on site, and I do not know if I ever will or should. I do not know if I can take it. I mean, every time I'm watching a rocket launch, I turn into an emotional wreckage, madly cheering my little big unknown friend into orbit. (laughs) Anyhow, we wanted to call Peter again for a little more detail. So, after a good night's post-launch sleep... And while Webb was already speeding through space, Peter and I had a little fireside chat. I hope you enjoy it. So my name is Peter Rumler. I'm currently the project manager for ESA on the Webb Space Telescope. I've been working on it since the beginning when we started in 2003. Mm -hmm. And basically I'm the one who finishes it uh, to uh, see it uh, go up into orbit. Mr. Rumler, did you have a good night's sleep after yesterday? Uh, Absolutely. It was uh, nail-biting yesterday, but it was a big, big relief. It (laughs) all went uh, fantastic on the first try and uh, without interruption anything. It was really easy. Let's just briefly go through the different stages before the launch and during the launch. So tell me what happened in the minutes before the launch, like emotionally also for you. So what happens in the control center? I mean, about... Half an hour before launch, it gets tight because then they start to switch the spacecraft to internal power, the batteries, and then the tension is mounting and everyone becomes really quiet. Then basically a quarter of an hour before launch, they say, okay, now we are okay. We are on internal power. Then it's a bit of waiting and seven minutes before launch is the last hold, which quite often they interrupt. But this time it went very, very smooth Mm -hmm. and the countdown just continued. Then, of Hmm. course, everyone gets really nervous and uh, crosses their fingers and hopes everything goes good. Final countdown, and it really went up as smooth as it can be. And we could follow the trajectory. It was spot on, spot on. And we had a camera. Hmm. The most fantastic thing was that the camera showed after injection of the satellite or separation, it showed already the deployment of the solar array, which happens... uh, minute or two after uh, separation mm-hmm. or to get the power back. I watched it with great interest and I saw the deployment of the yeah. solar arrays. But the solar arrays, they were a bit premature. So they were even earlier than planned. Was Is that right? What the plan is, they say, uh, within the first three minutes. And of course, the earlier, the better. So uh, okay. they, I, I guess they planned for a worst case and it happened the best case. Let's okay. call it this way. Wonderful. So in fact, um, being part of this project from the very beginning, you know the whole history of of this beautiful piece of hardware that had so many delays and so many dramatic situations. So how does it feel that it finally is where it belongs to? It's a big, big relief. (laughs) It's a really big relief. Yes, it's so so tight and now uh, we have to cope with the situation. But yes, uh, I was there since we started building it. I mean, scientists have been... uh, Pondering the idea already much longer. Huh? They started in the 90s mm. developing ideas, but when it uh, became real, it was, I think, 2003, 2004, we started building it. And now, yes, uh, we are we are so happy that it uh, all worked, especially on the launcher side, which was also my task, uh, that mm-hmm. we injected the uh, web uh, as planned, uh, spot on. And uh, you know, yesterday evening, mm-hmm. we were really celebrating it. 
So, so how do space people celebrate? Oh, this is a very special case. <laughs> Normally we have big parties, but in this case, all the Americans f flew home with their charter uh, in the afternoon mm -hmm. after launch because they want to go to their families. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's just uh, a small easy team. Actually, we had the celebration before launch on the 24th. Uh, we had a mm -hmm. big uh, lunch, all people together. And yesterday, the small group of uh, my colleagues from the Netherlands, we celebrated in the hotel and had a very nice <laughs> dinner. So is this actually a good excuse to their respective families, to your family back home, to not be at home for Christmas? So is, is a historic event like James Webb a good excuse? Or do people still say, or children still say, hey, you should be home now? Both, both. I mean, we have <laughs> much fewer people here than normally we would have. Okay. That's obvious eh? because many stayed home, but some came. Some said, okay, I don't let it go. And of course, then they speak to their kids and their, their family, their wives at home. Eh? I mean, Good I'm one. the lucky one. I have my wife here yeah, and we don't have nice. children. So uh, mm -hmm. I only have my siblings and my parents. And, and of course, we keep them updated nowadays with social media. We get uh, hundreds of mails, everyone watching it. I got, I don't know how many photos from the live stream uh, <laughs> people taking. So this is, uh, it's the good thing now with the social media, you can really uh, communicate with everyone uh, straight away. Wow. Wow. So did you actually, from, from where you were seated at yesterday, did you actually see the, the rocket during lunch or were you every, watching it on the screen? I see it on the screen. No, my, my wife and our colleagues, they were at the viewing site. They saw it from closer by, but I was on the screen. I've seen quite a few launches. So for me, it's not so important to, uh, yes, to see it. And in anyway, if you're viewing it, you're uh, still four or five kilometers away. So you're, it's more, it's okay. mostly the, the noise, which is impressive, but I wow. can tell you even 20 kilometers away in the control room after a while, I mean, it takes a minute, of course, for the sound to come, you hear it even inside the building. You hear the noise. No. Wow. So th this, it's, it's a deep rumbling, like an earthquake or, or what can it? It is something it like this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's something very powerful and you hear it, uh, you wow. hear the, it's, it's quite, it's not so deep. It's quite a, quite a rumbling. Wow. Wow. So let's go to the launch, to the actual ignition. I was an emotional wreck. I have to admit while watching that because so many things can happen so you have ignition and i mean like there is nothing that you guys can do anymore once the engines ignite right yes but this is also why this is special on the ariane 5 they start seven seconds before we take when, when the countdown is it takes really seven seconds more after the the liftoff the, the nominal mm -hmm. liftoff before the engine really starts because there is still more checks uh, going on mm -hmm. So they are, they're very careful on this one. Okay. Okay. So but then, then of course, yeah, you, yeah. you know, there is a solid boosters there mm -hmm. and they wireless work they can't be like turned fireworks. Off. <laughs> they cannot be turned off. They can be controlled and directed a little bit, but not uh, turned off. No. Okay. But, uh, I mean like what you, um, on a frequent basis, we could hear the, the mission director say nominal, nominal, nominal. So what if something is not nominal? Is there anything that um, anyone could do during that process? Uh, <laughs> not much, not much. Okay. But of course, if it goes really bad, they have the destruct button. Okay. <laughs> okay. If there is danger, there's always a destruct button. Which so nobody what color... wants to use, of course. <laughs> so, so nobody what color... wants to use. I don't, I don't want to even see it. <laughs> 
So this is, is not there, something. Yeah. <laughs> is there a person uh, responsible for the destruct button? Who is who is the the the, the poor person? I'm sure it's the mission director, okay. but of course all the all the big bosses are behind, and I'm sure they okay. check before they they really push okay. it. Okay, wonderful. Luckily, nothing like this was necessary yesterday. Everything went perfectly fine. There is one after the launch. There's one dramatic moment, I guess, and this is the maximum dynamic pressure moment. Could you go into this? What what is going on during that moment? It's actually. There's a few of those moments mm -hmm. because first you go through the atmosphere, the first uh, three minutes, which means uh, then you're still uh, shielded by what we call the fairing. Mm -hmm. Only after about three minutes, 20 seconds, 200 uh, seconds, the fairing is uh, thrown away, is basically ejected. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is when you're above 100 kilometers out of the atmosphere. And then, of course, there is another boost where you get the maximum dynamic pressure, where it uh, still uh, accelerates. Mm -hmm. And there, but there, there, yes, for us is not so important because we have calculated all these things long in advance to see that uh, the trajectory is such that the, the satellite, what they call the payload or the observatory, can take the, the pressures with margin. Mm -hmm. So this mm -hmm. is all, uh, all been calculated many times beforehand. Wonderful. And then you have a bunch of detachments, um, first stage, second Then you have, stage. of course, the, the yeah. first stage and the upper stage. The upper mm -hmm. stage can better control it. It's not so powerful, but we had a, what we call a thermal roll to move mm -hmm. back and forth or a little barbecue, they call it also, such that uh, things don't get too hot uh, on the sun side. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, after 27 minutes, you have the final injection uh, into the into the orbit. Separation Web Space Telescope. Go Web! We do have confirmation of observatory separation. Nice. nice. And then, how? because um, for the cloud layers, it wasn't possible yesterday to get a live view of, of everything, so we saw um, animations. But um, the fascinating moment, to me at least, was to finally see James Webb in all its glory above Earth deploying its solar shields. So how was that for you? I mean, like, I can imagine that this was also the first image you got from James Webb. We have, yes. I mean, we have a camera mounted. So the images basically start once the, uh, the cover, the fairing is ejected. There, uh, they were a bit uh, uh, sketchy. Uh? There were some images, and then we, we could see the satellite itself, uh, that everything was still okay before, uh, during this, what they call the cruise or the coast phase with the upper stage. But then the most important thing is when you eject the satellite or inject it, we call it, that uh, everything works, which means, first of all, is power, power, power. And then uh, our American friends in charge of the satellite, they were totally ecstatic when they saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Where is James Webb actually right now? So oh, okay. it's it's on its way. How many kilometers? I don't really know. But we know that it's a it's a month to get to its final orbit. And now the since the correction maneuver has been good, they can start with deployment first. It's the uh, the big antenna for the data transmission, mm -hmm. and uh, then comes all the the things like the sun shield and the telescope. Nice. Uh, this is in the next uh, two weeks, basically.
By the way, uh, in the meantime, I fired up um, Where is James Webb? That's a nice website um, provided by NASA. And this is fascinating. Good. You get a live view of where it is and the, and the distance, complete cruising speed. So we have now, we are at 140,515 miles from Earth. And that is 15.6% covered to the yeah, final destination. Yeah. We're about, let's say, two, between two and 250,000 kilometers, which is not yet, have not yet passed the moon or the distance of okay. the moon, which is 280,000 okay. kilometers. But uh, we are on the way. Fascinating. You know, there is no, no friction. Yeah. We are just uh, speeding there. Cruising. <laughs> yes. All right. So, Peter, let's go back in, in history a little because you're covering such a beautiful expanse when it comes to the development of the James Webb Space Telescope. Why does it take 30 years almost to build a machine that's like the size of a school bus? Why, why does it take 30 years yeah. and 10,000 people altogether? <laughs> it takes long because first the uh, scientists develop it, but they have all sorts of ideas. So they start, as soon as Hubble was up, they started uh, thinking about something new, something different for other questions, more questions mm -hmm. they have. But the actual building only started now. It's uh, very long. Uh, 2004 to 2021 is also very, very long. And it always turns out more complex than we think of it, uh, think in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And of course we encounter difficulties, but the, the good thing is the more difficulties we encounter on ground, the more we can fix, the less we should have in space. And it's very complex also to test a thing like this because it works at very, very cold temperatures, minus 235 uh, degrees, mm -hmm. which means we have to cool it down. If you mm -hmm. want to test the instruments and the telescope, which we done twice in 2014 and 2016, 2017, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, is a four months test. It's a month to cool mm -hmm. down, it's two months to check everything out and to, uh, and a month to warm up again. And then we have mm -hmm. to test also this huge sun shield. They also deployed it at least twice. And this also takes months each time because it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's very fragile and it's very tricky to do it. Hmm. So, and of I course, we had difficulties yeah. on the way. Sure. And fixed it. Huh? One instrument, we broke the structure a bit. Huh? We had cracks and we had to do mm -hmm. it again. It's another year. Yeah. You have to build it up again, test mm -hmm. it again. So, you lose one or two years, maybe it's even. But I so mean, your, you... our instruments mm -hmm. we already delivered to NASA in 2013, 2014. How do you deal, uh, Peter, with the uh, evolution of technology in the meantime? Because, I mean, like in those 20 years, Technology is advancing at a rapid pace, but now James yes. Webb is... So at what technological state is James Webb as we speak? Is it 20 years old already? It's very difficult to say for space, mm -hmm. because you know, in space, everything is prone to radiation. Mm -hmm. It's not as bad as a nuclear war, but it is uh, also like the military, everything has to be radiation proof, which means mm -hmm. the integration of microelectronics also the detectors for the cameras, they are by far not as integrated as on your phones, on your computers. This mm -hmm. is a big difference. They are, mm -hmm. you, you can say we are, we are many, many years behind there in mm -hmm. the, the level of integration because it has to be radiation proof. So, mm -hmm. which means yes, today they are probably bigger and newer detectors than the one we built in, 
But for example, we changed our detectors and some other very advanced technology. In 2015, mm -hmm. 2016, we still mm -hmm. change it with the newest uh, and most up-to-date uh, versions. Mm -hmm. So it's not really old, you can say. Of course, it's always a couple of years back because it takes long to make the space probe. But I can tell you that the detectors for space, they are much smaller or less powerful than you have on the ground. And even we use American ones, they are better mm -hmm. than the European ones. <laughs> Speaking of American ones and European ones, so this is an international project. Um, so what was ESA's role in it? What was your role particularly in the development yeah. of James Webb? So ESA provided the, the launch, the rocket, and two of the instruments, actually officially one and a half of the instruments, but both of them were assembled in Europe, the near-infrared spectrometer and the medium-infrared uh, instrument. Mm -hmm. And my role was in the beginning for, for the rocket from the start, but also for the instruments, uh, the assembly and testing of the instruments and afterwards all the instruments and afterwards the complete project in the last three years. Mm -hmm. So walk us through a decision-making process because, I mean, like there must be so many layers of security to, until something becomes realized and integrated. So how difficult is it to bring one's project into reality, in fact? I don't think it's difficult because it's not the first time we're doing this project. Mm -hmm. It just has taken longer. I think we have all sorts of supports. We have a big technical center in STEC. We have mm -hmm. uh, contractors that do it. We have one instrument built in the UK, the other one in Germany, in Munich. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have all the experts there. And of course, we test it. We check that everything is okay. And if something goes wrong, we decide what to do. And mm -hmm. in, in one case, we had to do it again. We mm -hmm. had to do, we had to use the reserve structure, put mm -hmm. everything over and start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And then we deliver so, to NASA mm -hmm. and we test there and we test again and sure. we test again to make sure it works. Peter, people keep asking, why wasn't SpaceX delivering James Webb into space? So why Ariane? Because Ariane is very well suited and very adaptable and has a, a very good track history. Yeah, it's a, the, basically the most reliable rocket we have here on this site. And this was the easier contribution for this project. One of the mm -hmm. major basically contributions. Mm -hmm. Already 10 years ago, of course, there were questions in, in the U.S. at the Department of Commerce. Why do you launch European and not, not American? SpaceX mm -hmm. didn't uh, exist. But, and you have to prepare, huh? I mean, to, to make sure that uh, the spacecraft, the satellite observatory can withstand the, the noise and the vibrations mm -hmm. at launch. You have to do a lot, a lot of analysis and test runs. Huh? And SpaceX is very new. They are, uh, I mean... Mm -hmm. They may evolve and they may be able to to do big things, eh? but so far it's Ariane is doing this much better. It's still in the lead. Mm -hmm. There were many, many delays so far over the past decades. So why was it so tricky to evolve that beautiful piece of hardware? Because you have to test it so often, because it mm -hmm. takes longer than, than you think. And sometimes people make mistakes. Mm -hmm. At one of the tests, there was a number of loose uh, screws and then you find out how. And then you have to repair it, <laughs> fix it, uh, and then test it again. Uh, there, so it's, yes, it's uh, like with your IKEA with, with your IKEA thing where you're there. So if there's one screw <laughs> left, uh, that's quite, a, that's a bad quite. sign. It was shaking. Uh, we had an acoustic test, and afterwards they, the screws, the fixing, what they call the, the self-locking mm -hmm. washers, this was not correctly engaged uh, for quite okay. a few pieces. So they uh, they came <laughs> off, and but this was fixed after, and then we you test it again. 
But okay. of course, it means it takes longer. Nice. Absolutely. So how long is this space telescope in operation? How long will it last? My personal expectation is 20 years. Mm -hmm. But of course, the design is made for a minimum of five years. <laughs> and we have the fuel, the hydrogen for 10 years. But mm -hmm. just now I've heard that for this first big uh, maneuver, we only use less than half of the fuel allocated because we always calculate in the worst, mm -hmm. worst case. So I expect that things go okay, that we are really, uh, yes, I say around 20 years. Fascinating. And hopefully so we'll, longer. Yeah. So if there, if, if something is going wrong or it needs some overhaul, is there a possibility to go there and do something? No, not in the foreseeable future. But okay. we, we have rescued quite a few satellites and we are quite inventive and our operations people also. So they mm -hmm. find workarounds. So we have fixed, I personally did one in the 98 uh, where we lost the satellite and managed to bring it back uh, mm -hmm. because it started tumbling. So very often we find ways to fix it. Although, of course, you can have some uh, degradation. This is always possible. Mm -hmm. um, but you cannot go there. Yeah. You cannot go there. So what are you particularly looking forward to seeing? What kind of information are you personally uh, interested in, in receiving from James Webb? Once it's in operation and it's lenses I'm the, produce imagery. I'm the engineer. <laughs> I hope for the scientists that it all works. Yeah. It's now the deployments which are most critical. And once it really works, it's the scientists. I am not uh, sure. scientist enough to understand uh, what exactly they are measuring. And I hope we get answers and I will be retired by then. So I hope we get <laughs> a lot of new answers about the origin of the universe, about other planets and their atmospheres and the possibility for life. All mm -hmm. these things are, should be then also available to the wider public. Nice. This should be very exciting. And Peter, do you have any interpretation of why James Webb just looks like a copy of a Star Destroyer from Star Wars? Is this <laughs> <No>. a... <laughs> No, but you, you know, the, the way it looks, you have a sun shield yeah. to have a cold side and then the, the telescope putting side sideways such that you can turn it around 180 degrees and still keep the sun away. Mm -hmm. And over the year, you move with yours around the sun and you see the full sky. That's, the, that's why it looks like this. So you can mm -hmm. see the full sky in the course of one year with this type of telescope. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Peter, I think we're through with everything. What's, yes, your, next big, so, what's, what's your next big project? Retirement. <laughs> in, I in think you deserved months. it. Yes. In seven months, <laughs> in I seven, think you, yes. you made yourself a beautiful and the most beautiful yes. present, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a big relief. Thank you so much, yes, Peter, for I taking the time. I have to leave, yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter, for taking us on that ride of that historic moment. By the way, if you want to know how Webb is doing, head over to Spacewatch Global and check out the podcast show notes about Webb, where you will find the NASA live link to Webb's whereabouts. Have fun. Thank you for listening and take care.